Welcome back to The Mental Space and welcome back to the Wellbeing at Work World Conference here in Dubai. Now, today we are joined by Dr. Zoe Fortune, who is partner with the UE-based Minds Matter. Uh, Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so before we get into the conversation, just give me a little potted history. Tweet me your Marvel origin superhero story. So um, I am a mental health researcher by background. Did that for about 10 years. Moved over to do human rights research, modern slavery research for a number of years. Okay. And then came back into the mental health space. So I used to live and work in Hong Kong. And I uh, started doing some research with the University of Hong Kong. I also set up and was the first CEO of the City Mental Health Alliance in Hong Kong, which is an organization that works to create mentally healthy workplaces with corporates. And I also qualified as a psychotherapist while I was in Hong Kong as well. Since then, I've moved to Dubai. I'm now continuing my work with the University of Hong Kong. Um, I joined Anne-Marie in partnership with Minds Matter to raise awareness on mental health here and to provide training as well. Yeah. And I'm also uh, continuing my work as a th psychotherapist. So today we're going to get into what is a very hot topic of conversation. Um, Mental, we reported on the Cigna 360 research recently that showed that Gen Zs globally are the most stressed generation uh, in the world right now. Um, yep. And actually, because we worked with Cigna on the UEE findings, uh, it showed that actually it was even worse. It was 98% of Gen Zs are stressed, the global average being 88%. Now, we posted this story and we posted it on our LinkedIn, normally one of the calmer, shall we say, platforms. But man, the reaction we got from people, uh, uh, the suggestion that um, Gen Zs were struggling. Uh, and some of the words we were being told was lazy, spoiled, so entitled, you know, and I actually thought I was on Twitter for a minute, but anyway, um, you have been here today giving your presentation yep. about sort of Gen Z and graduate mental health and also how we help them enter the world of work because it isn't easy. It's not easy. And I think we need to remember that every generation is different. Every generation has its own challenges, right? But if we look at what the challenges are currently being faced by young people as they graduate as university, as they move into the workplace. We know that there are a number of challenges facing graduates in terms of employment market, in terms of, if we think about the world of work, yeah. there's no such thing as off anymore. We are constantly on our devices. So the old nine to five, that doesn't exist. There's many challenges in terms of social media, how to communicate, all of those things. And then what we've had is we've had to layer in COVID-19. And we've had to adjust to a new, the new work orders, the new way of working. And what that's meant is the world of work has changed and employers have had to adapt. Everyone's had to adapt. Workplaces have had to adapt, universities, schools, et cetera. We've all moved online. But what that's meant is our normal forms of communication and interaction, social skills, soft skills, all of those kind of things have shifted and so what we are hearing about in our research is that as graduates are now moving into the workplace, they are not feeling as confident. Well, they, some of them are feeling confident with those skills, but we're hearing from workplaces that actually it's the communication skills, the soft skills yeah. that graduates aren't having. And that's not their fault. It's just that they haven't had the face-to-face -face opportunity to hone those skills in the way that somebody else might have. And so we need to support graduates coming into the workplace because they are reporting high levels of anxiety, stress, depression, because the world is a different place. It's a highly, highly stressful place to be in right yeah. now. And if we can support graduates coming into the workplace, we can attract 
the best talent. We can retain the best talent. And they're the ones that are starting to shift the mental health agenda, I think. That's a controversial point, but I do think that they are. I, t- I tend to agree with you because if we look, I mean, I talk about the Gen Zs and actually I think they are, you know, one, what, one argument will be that they're more entitled, but the other side of that is they're actually uh, more willing to stand up for themselves. They are more willing to challenge the status quo. Um, and I know the common phrase that's often used and has been used to me when I've been in, you know, in sort of defense of uh, the, the younger generation is, well, we were miserable. They should be miserable too. <sighs> I've heard the same argument yeah. on mental health terms. Yeah. It's like, well, I was stressed out when I was a junior lawyer. They should be stressed out too. Why? Yeah. We're supposed to make the world a better place, as I, as I think we've it's heard earlier. like, you know, we can't get over this resentment that, okay, we had it tough and we may have had things tough and everyone's story is different, but how, why, why can we not be compassionate to the next generation? Should we not be paying it forward? Well, it's also an interesting point. Is it that we had it tougher and let's face it, hindsight is a beautiful thing, but also it's about the way that we communicate about it, right? So on mental health terms, we know that past generations don't talk about mental health as much. And we are massively as a society, as a global society, trying to destigmatize mental health and we're trying to increase awareness of it. So if we've now got a generation that are so much more open about their mental health and their needs, why should they be penalized for that? Isn't that what we're trying to create? Well, it's funny as well, because they're kind of like the thing that we don't talk about. And I always talk about mental health, particularly with men's mental health, being a, you know, being a, a private pandemic. We look at the suicide statistics for men aged between 40 and 49. They're, 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 they're ridiculous. I mean, they're so alarming. And, and as, as men, you know, and often, you know, we've got this thing called the, our midlife crisis, which there are physical things happening to us. We are slowing down. The brunch belly's coming. The moves are coming out. We're feeling less anxious. The brunch belly, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a very UE term. But all of a sudden, we're, we're five times more likely to kill ourselves than women. And if that generation, 50 years old, are struggling, we need to have some compassion for the kids because they're facing some, if not all, of the same pressures we are. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And when it comes to gender, historically, it's been women who are the ones who are more likely to be diagnosed with anxiety and depression, as you'll know. Um, And that's because they might be more likely to seek help. But actually, men are more likely to die of an act of completed suicide. Um, And so we need to be raising awareness of these issues. And there's still a gender gap. There's still a generational gap, and even amongst young people. But we also know that, for example, young men, you know, for example, when it comes to something like eating disorders, that in lots of people's eyes might be more of a female thing, but we know that it's affecting lots of young men as well. And so we, and if you think about social media, the influence of social media, which can be a force for good, but let's face it, it can also be very toxic. It can be incredibly toxic. It, it, and you're surrounded by that social media. It's about supporting young people at a young age to have the right emotional coping skills to be able to recognize we've talked about preventions better than cure today and it's about putting in place support mechanisms so that young people are able to for example turn off their devices say no to peer pressure all of those kind of things which are really difficult and be able to also recognize difficulties in mental health so that they can have a conversation before it becomes more of a problem and that's really really hard but let's not penalize them for doing that 
It's interesting as well because, again, I'm looking at the, some of the LinkedIn comments that are coming up, very much touching on some of the points you make there, which is like, oh, yeah, they're just addicted to their phones and they're always scrolling and they're always looking at Instagram, uh, which means they've always got this comparison. Um, but if we were to be honest with ourselves, how many people of our age are still there? I mean, we might be on Facebook while they're on TikTok, but we're still scrolling, we're still wasting time, we're st- and we're still sucking up all that anxiety. And we are... Yeah, I think we're just as mis- the, the statistics show us that we're just as miserable. The status quo right now: fifty-five percent of people want to leave their jobs and work, you know, here in the UE and go for a better work-life balance. You know, Gen Xs and Boomers are struggling as much, but we've had thirty years to get here. We've had thirty years to build coping techniques. We've had thirty years of emotional intelligence, possibly. Someone would say that was limited in my case. Um, whereas these kids are coming in and they've not even physically stopped growing yet. Their bodies haven't settled down. Their hormones are still all yep. over the place. Yep, yep, yep. You know, and they're suddenly like thrown into this inferno of 25A always on. Um, it just feels to me that our generation, um, or my generation certainly, needs to take a step back and be that little bit more compassionate. I think we need to be compassionate to everybody. Yeah. Because I think th- th- it's one thing about compartmentalizing the generations, but we all need to work together in a workplace and we need to create a better well-being environment for everybody that works in that workplace regardless. And when it comes to mental health, um, when, when we do training or anything like that, we talk about the fact that someone, you bring what you experience at home into the workplace and you take home what you experience in the workplace. So if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, whatever it is, from your boss, from anyone in the workplace, you're going to take that home to your family and vice versa. So if we can actually protect people, we can give them a good working environment, no matter what age they are, Absolutely. they're going to be able to take that forward yeah. to their family and into the future. So surely we should be teaching the young so generation. We have this circle, never-ending circle of good stuff rather than this circle exactly, of bad stuff. Exactly, because yeah. if we can create the white working environment. There, good stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah create the right working environment, they can then take that home. We can change, the idea is, in my mind, we can start to change society by doing that. Yeah. Workplace is somewhere where, let's face it, we spend most of our lives, Too pretty much, much most of us. I think a third of our lives. Is a third of our lives is spent at work. And it, it, we need to get better at making that the right environment and then a protective environment where we protect our own mental well-being. But it's also work think about it, it's a good thing for you. It's about meaning and purpose. It's about connection. It's yeah. about routine. All of these things are really good for our mental yeah. health. And so we need to be putting in place those good things, taking that home to our families. And we can start to like increase the good stuff, not increase the bad stuff. Why would we start to increase the bad stuff? Just because we're resentful of gender. Uh, you're preaching to the converted here. Um, I found one of the things you were, well, not one of the things, but one of the things that stood out to me this morning in the research that you were presenting as well was, uh, and I've seen it with my, you know, bless him, I'll call him my boy, but my 21-year-old has just gone into the workplace. Um, this quite apprehensive barrier that the, the latest generation, the Gen Zs, have to overcome, which is eye contact, the ability to have a conversation like this. Because particularly because of the pandemic, it's all been this. And that's the only way yeah. that they communicate. I mean, that is quite, a, it, it, it's something that we really kind of need to tackle, isn't it? Before they actually even enter that space. You know, they're coming out of university with no soft skills, as you were saying. And that ability to connect one-on-one with human beings. Yep. 
eye contact is a real thing. And I think we need to understand the importance and the power of face-to-face -face connection and practicing that face-to-face -face connection. Yeah. So one of the other things that we're finding in the research that I didn't present about today is we were asking students about their experience. And actually some of them were saying the pandemic has been a good thing. Great, we know the pandemic has been a good thing. We've taken up banana bread making and knitting and we've all spent different times in different ways and all of that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. In some ways, it's been a good thing. It's enabled a mental health conversation. Absolutely, yeah. But for some students, they were actually saying, I'm an introvert and it's enabled me to not go to the workplace. And that's good because that means I can just work from home. But if you think about what that means over time, it reinforces that anxiety. It reinforces that ability to connect, not face to face. And so we've got perhaps an anxious population yeah. who are reinforcing that ability to stay at home. And so we need to give them the confidence and skills to come into the workplace, to interact in what is perhaps known as a more traditional way. Maybe I can say that face-to-face -face, eye contact and how we do that. I think if we're talking increasingly about workplaces going online, we need to skill up our workforce to have the ability to do those skills. Cause we don't, we don't teach basic human interaction skills. No. At university or and, anywhere like that. Or even in our schooling though, isn't it? I mean, it, it feels like there's lots of things these days. I mean, I, I don't wish to take a pop at the education system, but it does feel, <laughs> but, I, but I think <laughs> I'm right. about, that's a little bit like, uh, yeah, I, I don't mean this personally, but I'm about to, you know, um, but if we actually look even at the schooling system, you know, are our kids being taught kindness? Are our kids being taught human interaction? Are our kids being taught critical and independent thinking? Are our taught kids being taught how to be self-confident and have self-respect so that the polarizing forces of social media, where we've got all these, you know, all these horrific opinions and all this bullying and all that sort of thing, we should be giving them the tools, these human skills. Possibly I would, I would argue they're more important than teaching them about a battle that happened thousands of years ago. But it feels like the education sector has got a journey to go on to prepare young human beings to then enter what is, the world. Yeah, completely agree. So one of the things I was talking to somebody about after my presentation, and she was saying that the biggest thing that is lacking at the moment in terms of soft skills is confidence. And we're finding a very similar thing. So those lack of communication skills mean that, for example, the HR managers were saying students and graduates lack the confidence and they lack the resilience coming into yeah. the workplace. And so if I think about my children's education, the education system saying things like we need to provide the skills for the future, not necessarily the knowledge, because we don't know what knowledge is going to be required. So we need to provide the skills. So if we're providing those skills, why are we not providing the confidence, the self-efficacy, um, all of those things to enable those students to have the right soft skills, but also to push back against social media, the yeah. confidence to say, actually, I'm going to do something else yeah. and the ability to to have downtime in a different way and not in an online environment. I think we forget as well that these kids, depending on what you know, level of parenting they're at, they, they've sometimes, you know, by the time they've entered the world of work, whether that be 18 or 21, they've had five years to eight years of being exposed to comparison all the time yeah. via social media. No wonder they're coming into the workplace with very low self-esteem, with low confidence, because they're just looking at curated feeds of people's perfect lives all the time. Yeah. And if you think about the job market at the moment, it's incredibly competitive yeah. um, and if going through various different recruitment strategies and everything else. And actually what we've heard in our research is that the recruitment process might be getting longer because one interview is not enough to assess if someone has the right skills, particularly yeah. soft skills. Yeah. So it's now an internship. So you've got to devote 
a serious chunk of your time to an interview process, and that's financially punitive as well as time punitive, in order to assess whether they've got the right skills. But I also found fascinating, and we kind of you just almost touched upon it then as well when we're talking about giving them the skills for the future, um, and it almost seems like oh yeah, well we've got to teach them tech skills. So as and you were saying that in your presentation this morning, which I found fascinating, which was right. We need to teach them how to code. We need to teach them how to do uh, CAD, community design. Yep. We need to give them all these tech skills. And actually, the world of works guide that we can do. We can teach them to code pretty exactly. quickly. Exactly. What we can't. What we, there's this disconnect between those life skills or those human skills as opposed to the technological processes that they need to exactly. go Exactly. That's exactly what we're hearing. We're hearing that workplaces are saying we can nurture the technical skills we need in the workplace, but we can't nurture those communication skills. And we're also hearing that post-COVID, there's a little bit of a disconnect between universities and workplaces where the recruitment process has gone online um, that we're hearing from some, not all, but some saying that actually universities are not necessarily aware of what workplaces need as it moves and as it changes. Yeah. So we need to get better at communicating between this triad, between what students want and need, what workplaces want and need, and what how universities and schools are preparing our students to move into the workplace. So if we look ahead, look, we're at a conference here where lots of uh, good minds have come together to kind of debate these issues. Yeah. Um, for 2023, 2024, kind of two projections. What's giving you optimism? What gives you hope? But also, it feels like there are still employees out there that want to put this all back in the box of 10 years ago. They'd like to pack all of this in and neatly go yeah. back to that Victorian mill, steel mill owner mentality. Have we opened Pandora's box? Can we ever close it again? Can we go back in time? Have we crossed the inflection point? And then again, looking forward, what's giving you hope? You know, do you think it's time for employees to go, do you know what? Yeah, it's, it's, we're not going back to the old days. I think it's a bit of both. What gives me hope is actually that I think that everyone's come out of the pandemic going, if there's anything good, it's enabled us to focus on our mental health yeah. and the world of well-being and that has been a good thing to come out of COVID-19. And I think what gives me hope is that people recognize that. And also that, for example, young, young people, younger people, I should say, are, Absolutely, willing, yes. <laughs> yes, totally. are willing to actually stand up and say, no, this is what the world of work needs. This is how we're going to make that change. Yeah. And they are, a lot of them empowered to say that. And that's great because they... In, conversely to what we were just saying, in some ways they have more confidence than I ever did to yes. actually stand up and say, this is what we need. That's great. I, my fear is that some companies will go back to, that was a box we needed to tick. We've ticked that box. Now let's, let's push it over here. However, I do think this, we need to address the online hybrid thing. More, my concern is that everything becomes about, well, if you're working from home, you're just working from home and you don't have those supportive mechanisms and everything yes. else. And you become like a silo worker back when home workers were, you know, a long time ago. That's my concern because if we think about the data from Hong Kong, we've got lots of students and graduates who are sitting cross-legged on their bed with a laptop. You know, they don't have a proper setup to work from home. That's a difficult environment to do a professional job. So when we're actually hearing from employers that students aren't job aware or business ready 
Maybe actually, it's about some of that. And I guess also they can't learn human skills over a Zoom call, basically. Exactly. You can't learn human skills. And also we're hearing that people don't feel psychologically safe to have a conversation on mental health over a Zoom call. Fair enough. And also we can't recognise if someone's struggling over a Zoom call. I mean, you've been very generous for your time, so I don't want to keep you too long, but it does feel like sometimes we mix up or conflate the issue of mental health and well-being in the workplace purely with remote working because there are professions that a can't remote work and b you know from my perspective i'm a father i'm a seven-year-old i loved lockdown you know um rather than go to the coffee machine and chat with colleagues i used to go down and be present with my daughter so for me as a 50 year old married with a garden and a kid during uh, lockdown I, I i loved it but i can empathize and feel for young people who are coming into the workplace often their social circle is the workplace. Yep. Um, often that's where they get validation and confidence. And a lot of them, you know, during, during lockdown, we're in a, you know, a one bedroom or a studio apartment with no balcony. And, and you know, all of a sudden they're cut off from their family, which exactly. is their work colleagues. Exactly. So it isn't a one size fits all. I think just to re- riff off yesterday's headlines about the four day working week, um, when the UK adopted that uh, experiment, they didn't set any prescription on it must just be nine to five, Monday to Thursday. Every company was allowed to be totally not easily fluid so that it was a combination of spending time together, bringing companies together so you can establish culture, you can do mentoring for your young people, that kind of thing. So uh, do we need to elevate that conversation past this kind of blinkered, it's hybrid or not? Because kind of the foundation you were saying earlier, like the building blocks, the basics, the culture, Flexibility is one component of um, a good working workplace wellness strategy, right? If we think about it, in there's lots of different steps that you need to put into place to enable a good strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have a committee, you can have a budget, all of those kind of things. We need to understand all about our employees. We need to start with our, our employees yeah. and say, what is it that they need? And then we can say flexibility is one reasonable adjustment or it's one tool in our toolbox, if you like. It's not the be all and end all. Flexibility doesn't work for everyone. And actually some people like the routine of a workplace. Some people like going to an office. In Hong Kong, we found that young people actually, they were staying in the office until 10, 11 o'clock at night. You ask them why, well, it's two things. One of which is around leaving work before your boss. It's a hierarchy thing. The other is actually to your point, they were socializing with their mates. They're eating noodles at the desk because their home places are too small to socialize and do that. So therefore we need to understand what's happening for our employees. And it goes beyond a pulse point survey. You know, these are- There's so many different facts. You look at the UK right now, there's so many people like, I don't want to work remotely because I don't want to pay for the power and heating bills. All of those kind of things. So it's not one size fits all. We need to understand what works and actually what works for one person one week might not work for them the next week. So I'm a working mum of two. Great, I like to work from home times. But do you know what? I also quite like to go to the office and enjoy coffee sometimes. Is that the shift though? Is that the mindset shift? Is that what leadership has actually moved? Because it's always been, the world of business has been very rigid. It's been very fixed. And it has been nine to five. And management has always been, it's very easy to manage people because they're in one space and they do one thing and you do as they're told. Now, have we moved into this new world order, which is fluidity? I think some people are going to embrace that. I don't think 
everyone's going to embrace that. I think it's about, as we've heard today, it's about trust yeah. and it's about the right mindset to embrace that fluidity. But the thing that I keep coming back to in my research is if we have enhanced connection by remote working or whatever it is, you know, you can work up a mountain, you can work wherever you want. Yeah. That does not equal connectivity. No. And it's about ensuring that we have the connectivity that we require in the workplace to get what we want from it as employees, yeah. as well as what we want as employers. So it's about productivity, but it's about connection. It's about working together as teamwork. It's about routine. It's about all of those things. How do we get what we want out of the workplace within that fluidity, I would say? Amazing conversation. Thank you very much for joining Thank us you. on The Mental Space today. Dr. Zoe Fortune, if you have enjoyed this conversation and you want to learn more, um, visit us at The Mental Space, uh, mental.space. And please feel free to subscribe on any of the podcast platforms of your choice. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to click subscribe. Thank you very much.